Hi there. A quick note before you start listening to this episode. As the podcast has evolved, we've come to focus more directly on the topic of diversity, equity, and inclusion in organizational life. The episode you're currently listening to focuses more broadly on the topic of creating purposeful organizations. So if that's what you're after, then listen on. But if you're looking for more DEI-focused content, we suggest skipping forward a few episodes and looking for the ones titled Inclusion at Work. Happy listening. It wasn't about uh, creating a whole set of new rules or standards of behaviours. It was really just an attempt to articulate what that intangible, unspoken kind of thread that connected the organisation was um, and how did our purpose you know, actually show up through our people. Welcome back to the Leaders for Good podcast. Today, we get a fascinating look inside of an iconic Australian company, the NRMA. This view comes courtesy of Tanya Breeze. Tanya is General Manager of Communications, Policy and Reputation, a professional with over 20 years experience in public relations and corporate communications. We dive into how the NRMA thinks about embedding purpose and how its status as a mutual organization impacts that. We look at how they live that purpose during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic here in Australia, bringing it to life through some truly remarkable initiatives the organization put out. We discuss telling stories of the good you do as an organization, balancing humility with the desire to set an example and have impact. We look at the metrics and measures around purpose and doing good in the world, and much, much more. This was a thoroughly enjoyable conversation with Tanya um, that we got a lot of value from and we hope you do too. So without further ado, we bring you this conversation with Tanya Breeze. Tanya, thank you for joining us on the Leaders for Good podcast. Um, it's great to, great. great to have you here. Happy to be here. Very excited about today. Thank you. Good stuff. Um, leading question, um, same uh, same every week, uh, but <laughs> how, how do you describe the work you do, just to frame it up for the audience? Yeah, look, I, it might sound a little cliche, but I feel very lucky to have the role that I have. I, it's definitely a privilege uh, to be the custodian of, of the NRMA's reputation. It's a 100-year-old brand. It's one of the most trusted in the country. Um, and also through the policy, advocacy and content work that we do, you know, we really have the opportunity to drive meaningful and positive change for not just for our members but the the communities in which they live as well and you know and I think through our communication we have the ability to really connect and engage with people we have the honor of telling the NRMA story which is an incredible story to tell and and the power of you know storytelling in general so yeah I, I think it's you know very lucky to have this role. Amazing. And you've been with the NRMA for 13 years. Yes, I have. Which is a good stint. And I'm sure we're going to understand more about why that is later. But what was your path to this work? What were you doing before NRMA? And then I guess, yeah, what's kept you there for this length of time? 
Yeah, look, I've been working as a communicator in one form or another for, for over 20 years. Uh, I started in public and media relations in an agency um, environment, then, then moved into an in-house role and then expanded out into you know, corporate communications, um, internal communications, which is a, a big passion of mine, content, um, and more recently, the, the policy and advocacy space. So um, I'm just really passionate about understanding, you know, the role of reputation and, and the reputation of an organisation like NRMA and, and how it can really impact and, and connect people. Um, and, you know, the role that reputation plays in, in the growth and success of an organisation as well. So, and for me, reputation, I think, spans, you know, all of our stakeholder groups, our employees, our future employees, our members and customers, our future members and customers, stakeholders, government, industry, everybody, really. Mm. You, you're talking our language there. <laughs> Something, you know, one of the messages we try to get out there is, you know, purpose-led organizations and, you know, organizations that really uh, operationalize that purpose and live it day to day. It shows up in all of those domains that you, you just mentioned and, and leads to, you know, on the whole, more successful, um, higher performing organizations as well as ones that are doing good in the world. So, um, mm. yeah, that's fantastic. And I, I'm, I'd, I'd just like to ask, could you unpack, so NRMA is a mutual uh, organization. Um, there might be some listeners who aren't familiar with that as, a, as an organizational structure or what that means for, um, for you know, for, for how you operate. Could you, could you unpack that for us? Yeah, so um, NRMA is one of the largest member organisations in Australia. So what that means is we have 2.6 million NRMA members. Um, and as a membership organisation or a mutual, we exist purely to add value to our members. So it's not for us about making a profit um, in the way that we have shareholders like a publicly listed company. So whatever profits we make, we invest back into adding more value to our members and the communities in which they live. So that that gives us a really unique opportunity, I think, when it comes to social purpose. Um, and it means that we can invest in ways that, that really help Australians that, and also, you know, our members at the same time. So, mm. um, you know, we can obviously invest in, in quite meaningful ways, but it also means that, you know, for us, we do need to be financially strong in order to invest in, in ways that, that make a difference. Um, so we are always conscious that the money that we spend is our members' money and with that comes, a, you know, a huge responsibility, mm. I think, to spend it in the right way. Um, you know, so we are very commercially focused as an organisation, um, but I would say we spend just as much time looking at, you know, customer experience metrics and people metrics as we do the financial ones because they both matter. So I think as a mutual, people come before profit but that profit still matters as well so I think it's you know it's a really unique organizational structure it gives us a bit more freedom maybe than other typical organizations we can we can have that strong social purpose but still be commercial mm -hmm. still be financially strong still be incredibly innovative uh, we have a big culture of test and learn um, and I think being a mutual gives us a little bit more freedom to experiment and explore, you know, even if we, we do get it wrong sometimes. Mm. Um, and I, I think there's, you know, 
possibly maybe a, a public perception out there that mutuals are a little bit kind of daggy and not the most exciting, innovative, commercially savvy places to be. But, you know, I think they'd be really, really surprised um, by what it's really like. One thing I love about that is we, you know, we talk about the triple bottom line a lot and for, mm. I'm, I'm sure you're familiar, but for the listeners, again, if you've not, if you've not heard of the triple bottom line, it's a way of organizations looking at and measuring their, uh, measuring their success against not just profit, but um, people and planet as well. Mm. And the, the mutual um, model almost just by its nature bakes in people um at the core as as well as prop profit and and i'm sure we'll touch on some of the things nrma are doing around planet as well um cause, mm. you know i know you're a very you know nrma is a very conscious organization but i love the fact that it's um you know i think far from daggy in our eyes it's mm. uh, uh, it's it's actually at the the kind of leading edge of where businesses should be should be thinking and place, placing an emphasis so uh, it's awesome Definitely. Yeah. And I think that's when we first spoke, why I was so keen to get you on the podcast is I think there's just so much that even profit led organizations can learn from this approach. And mm. I think our listeners will hear that as we start to go through and hear some of the stories of the work that you're doing. So we've talked a little bit about a mutual organization and you've mentioned social purpose, but how would you articulate the social purpose of NRMA? Yeah, look, I think, you know, it's, NRA was founded in 1920, so 100 years ago, um, just as the automobile was starting to take off in Australia. And I think the early founders of the NRMA just wanted to ensure that Australia had the roads that were required to transition from a horse, you know, to the car. Um, so I think social purpose is what, what founded the organisation. And um, one of our early leaders, JC Watson, who was a former Australian Prime Minister um, actually felt that he could do more good for the country through a mutual organisation than he could in government, which was quite interesting. So I think um, social purpose has been there from, from day one for the NRMA and it's just, you know, continued to, to be what, what drives us forward. So um, it's still just a strong today, I think, as it, it probably was 100 years ago. So, you know, and that's, you know, I would say definitely the reason why a lot of our people stay with us so long and what sets us apart from, from you know, other organisations. It's not, you know, for us, it's the new trend or the new best practice that we need to keep up with. I think it's, you know, we were forged out of that desire to help and that's just in the DNA of the organisation. So, mm. yeah. And, and getting that purpose into the DNA of an organisation, um, we talk about the purpose gap which is, you know, most organizations have a stated purpose written on the, mm. on the walls or the website and actually a, a vanishingly small number of organizations have actually operationalized that and, and really brought it to life for, for their people and for customers and, and for, their, for their ecosystem. How do you think about embedding purpose at NRMA? What are some of the, what are some of the practices? What are some of the, what's the toolkit you use there? Um, I'm sure, um, you know, there'll be some, some curious folk there wondering what, what your, what your secret source is. Yeah. I mean, definitely I've worked in organizations where purpose is just a, a poster mm -hmm. on the wall. And I think for us, we, you know, we have our purposes, you know, to keep people moving, but I don't think it's so much about the words in the purpose. It, you know, it's always been for NRMA that kind of intangible unspoken part of our culture. So probably 18 months ago or two years ago, we launched um, 
what we call the NRMA culture playbook. So it, it wasn't about uh, creating a whole set of new rules or standards of behaviours. It was really just an attempt to articulate what that intangible, unspoken kind of thread that connected the organisation was um, and how did our purpose you know, actually show up through our people. Um, so we didn't engage you know, an agency um, or, or do any of those kind of traditional methods. Um, and it was really a piece of work that was led and driven by our group CEO. Um, but it wasn't, wasn't a top-down, you know, management goes away and decides what the behaviours are and then just, you know, pushes it down. It was really about talking to our people and the words that they would use, trying to explain you know, and articulate that that kind of unspoken sense of purpose that that we all felt. So in the end, we developed six key statements. So they were, uh, we walk in your shoes. We always think one step ahead. Uh, we know your time is precious. We will keep you safe along the way. We will carry you when you need help. And then the final one was our values light the way. So and our values are energy, courage, humility, and ownership. Um, so as you can see, they're not very prescriptive. They're quite mm. quite broad. Um, so they're not meant to be rules or policies or, or standard kind of procedures. And it's up to each part of our business to and each person actually within the business to translate and interpret well, what does that actually mean for my day-to-day -day and, and what I do. Um, but adherence to those principles is is the non-negotiable so and that's you know how we interact with each other as colleagues but how we interact with our customers with our members but also how we show up you know in the community and you know as a brand in general so I think you know we've really used the playbook to create that culture that you know, if your intent is good and you're aligned to the playbook, then it's okay if you make a mistake, you know, now and then, but it's definitely not okay um, to behave in a way or make a decision in a way that's not aligned to the playbook, if that makes sense. So, and I think when you unpack those kind of key statements really at the heart of them, you know, it's about empathy, it's about respect, it's about you know, for NRMA, you know, leading, being a leader and driving the way forward, even if it's not, you know, necessarily the popular kind of view, it's, you know, it's about keeping people safe. And of course, you know, the we will carry you when you need help is, is really, you know, touching on that social purpose and, and how that's, you know, embedded in everything we do. And you've got some really great examples of how you've actually brought that to life, um, which, I know when you first told me, and I'll be honest, I've shared them with a few people since because they're amazing. I'd love you to yeah, share with our audience some of those examples because I think they really show um, it's hard sometimes when you think about a playbook or when you think about a purpose, but it's what really matters is how they come to life. And these examples are just kind of amazing. So love yeah. to tell the audience about those. Well, I think, yeah, the, the best example is uh, Project Light Horse. So 2020 um, was NRMA's centenary year. We were obviously founded in 1920. So as you can imagine, we had a huge program of work planned, you know, lots of celebrations, lots of events, which you know, obviously all needed to be cancelled um, quite quickly when, when COVID um, came to Australia. But um, through our centenary and in those first couple of months of the year, we were telling the story of our history. 
And I think it's a history that everyone who works at the NRMA is really proud of because it was definitely about how the organisation has stepped up in times of crisis, so through the war, through the depression, through droughts. Um, so while 2020 didn't end up being the centenary year that we, you know, had worked for and had planned, um, I think it was actually quite fitting that instead of telling the story of our history, we were actually able to step up and help in a, in a crisis of our own. Um, so as COVID, you know, kind of came to Australia, New South Wales went into lockdown, I think that that social purpose, you know, really came to the fore. So everybody from our board, you know, through the organisation to our frontline was, you know, asking that question of well, what can we do to help? How can we help in this crisis? So we launched a project called Light Horse in honour of the fact that it was, you know, those returned servicemen who became our first NRMA patrols kind of all those years ago. Um, and people just right across the organisation, we, we have many different businesses within the NRMA group from, you know, parks and resorts to thrifty car rental to our motoring and membership, even marine businesses and, and obviously a corporate corporate business. So everybody just really lent in. Um, it wasn't really a, a formal kind of project. It was just, you know, everybody kind of coming together with that that shared sense of purpose to, to find ways that, that we could help. So in the end, we worked with the Pharmacy Guild and we used our patrols and our, you know, dispatch system um, to deliver medicines to vulnerable people at home. Um, we worked with Meals on Wheels um, because many of their usual drivers were unable to, to work during that period. So we had people right across the business, including corporate staff, uh, delivering meals to vulnerable people. And, and that was, you know, in country areas as well as is in the metro areas. Um, but we also had a lot of our people who, you know, were isolating at home or, or weren't comfortable going out of their houses, but who still really wanted to help. So we partnered with the Red Cross um, and we trained a lot of our staff, again, right across the business at all levels, um, to make care calls to people that were in isolation or quarantine just to check on them and, you know, see how they were going. Um, and then through, obviously, our accommodation businesses, we provided accommodation to healthcare workers and people needing to isolate. We provided uh, free thrifty vehicles to healthcare workers as well. So it, it it was a really good example of, I think, our social purpose in play. That's awesome. I love, love hearing about those examples. And it really got the fact that it was kind of self-organised within the organisation, I think, really speaks to that purpose coming to life and, and the values being being lived by people it wasn't a top-down mandate it was a it was a it sounds like a real kind of bottom-up how do I how do I help effort so yeah brilliant and we often obsess about this concept of effective altruism so doing the most good for the most number of people and a lot of organizations donate money and that's amazing but actually you guys use the skills and capabilities you had so your roadside assist vehicles um your hotels, you, I remember you mentioned that your call, mm. start, your call centre staff did a lot of those um, uh, check-in calls. So that's just amazing. It's it's doing the best you can, which we love. I, I guess that leads on to yeah. the to the next uh, thing, which is how to, um, when communicating that to the world, when telling people about the good work you're doing uh, and sharing those examples, how do you think about that? Because 
there's always a tension I find between a, a sort of desire for some humility and not wanting to sort of put airs and graces on, on yourself when you're just doing what comes kind of na naturally to do as, you know, a collection of good human beings wanting to help people out um, with also the, you know, expectations of what you should be doing as an organization from, from members, from the market, mm. from, from such, uh, stakeholders. Um, and also the, the, the just the, the, the wanting to set an example for people out there in the world as well. And, and just show that this is what, what is possible in, 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 in business. Um, yeah. Really curious how you're, how you're thinking about that. Yeah, look, I think you've you've kind of hit the nail on the head in terms of the the, the tension that we we need to balance. As I mentioned, humility is is one of our values. So uh, we definitely are a humble kind of organisation in in one respect. And I think um, you know that that desire to help um, you know is something we do because it's the right thing to do, not because of the good publicity or, or business benefits. Um, that we get out of it, but you know, as a communications person, um, it's always tricky to find a way to tell that story that isn't, as you said, seen as you know, patting yourselves on the back or, or potentially making it look like you did it for you know the brand or reputation or benefits. So, you know, I think we are sometimes you know maybe too cautious as an organisation about telling telling those stories. I think we realised through um, COVID, we got a lot of feedback from our members asking us what we were doing to help. There's, there's definitely, as you mentioned, that expectation that, you know, the MMA is there to help and, and we need to be, you know, doing something. So um, I think that was, was a really good reminder for us that, you know, it's not just enough to, to lean in and, and do good but you people want to know what you're doing um and how you're responding and, and I think you made a really good point as well is that we've always seen ourselves as wanting to set the example and lead the way forward so if we do want other corporates you know to play a bigger role we need to kind of you know show them I guess how to do that so we did obviously communicate what we were doing um we leveraged you know, our people, our frontline people particularly and the people that we were helping um, to tell the stories. So through the, the real people telling real stories element, I think is, is definitely one way to go about that. Um, and in all of our communication, we made sure that the focus was on, you know, the people who needed help and how we could help um, as well as, you know, highlighting that generosity and selflessness of our own you know, employees. Um, but it was definitely not about you know, the NRMA and what the NRMA had, you know, had done all of these great things. So, yeah, amazing. Thank you for sharing those. One of the things we spoke about previously when I've talked to you is about how you actually go about measuring impact and how you measure the benefits of doing good. And you've got a couple of examples of some great stuff you're doing. I'd love you to share. Yeah, look, I think... I, I think people know um, if organisations are authentic or not, um, you know, so I don't think you can really fake it. I think when you are authentic, it helps build that strong positive reputation for your brand. And I think, you know, we all kind of acknowledge that that leads to loyalty, it leads to kind of increased usage, it ultimately leads to, to profit. Um, we do have a view internally that, you know, if you focus on customer experience metrics, um, you know, as much, if not more so than the financial ones, um, 
that you know good customer experience drives profit and you know good employee experience drives good customer experience so you know really all that means is it's about focusing on people first and foremost and if you do the right thing you know by focusing on people profit will ultimately follow um so that's definitely kind of our philosophy obviously you still need to have a sound business strategy and a good product you know all of those other things but um you know if you do focus first and foremost on on people and that experience and impact that you're creating for people you know profit will follow and you know it's certainly obviously played out for, for the NRMA and I think I guess the other important part particularly when we talked about Project Lighthorse was um from an employee engagement perspective I think that was a you know, it wasn't a planned, obviously, business benefit, um, but particularly through COVID, it was a difficult time for our employees, as it was for everybody in the world, I think, being in, in lockdown and having that shared sense of purpose, you know, being able to focus on helping other people and having, a, you know, a really meaningful, positive project to work on. Um, just brought everybody together across the organization really lifted everybody's spirits um you know and you know employee engagement um was quite high as a result so i think you know it's it's good for your employees as much as it is for, for everybody else and, and i'm just curious about some of the specifics there when you're thinking about uh, i guess customers is it is it is it something like mps that you're measuring and employee engagement is it are those like regular pulse surveys just some of the the nitty-gritty if you could uh, if you could touch on that briefly yeah well we we have a great customer experience team so we we measure brand mps um obviously on a very regular basis but we also measure what we call touch point mps which is more about the inter interaction um, across all of our different products. So we measure touchpoint MPS across all of our different products and services. And that's probably the, the key metric for us because that's the what experience are people actually having when they interact with us, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, through our products and services. So um, that's that's something that we, you know, from the board to the executive team through through all the leadership teams in the business um, and all the, the businesses themselves keep a very, very close eye and, and watch and monitor that. We also have a good uh, voice of customer program. Um, you know, we have a, a moments of matter kind of council where we, we look at, you know, some of the voice of the customer work and, and prioritise that. And, um, you know, the other thing we do is listen to our frontline staff. Uh, we have we have Yammer across the organisation, which is an enterprise social network, um, which we find is a great way for our frontline staff, particularly in the call centre, to be able to flag any customer issues or problems or pain points and, and get those resolved, you know, really quickly because the, the people who can, can make the, the decisions and, and make the changes happen, you know, can get that feedback directly from the frontline. That's great. The granular, real time, um, and and quite specific measurement. Um, you know, for an organisation that that prides itself on taking a you know an agile iterative. How do we keep optimising and doing mm. better and better? That's um, that's great to see. Love it. Brilliant. So I think I've got one final question, um, which is just around what are some of the traits that really help leadership traits that really help drive purpose at NRMA. Yeah, look, I think I mentioned before, for me, it really has to be authentic. I think 
everybody from your employees to, you know, to the public can tell um, when it's not. So I think having leaders who are authentic, they're open, um, they can build trust and they have that genuine intent to do the right thing, you know, is, is kind of critical. As I said, I you know I do believe in in people power in an organisation. I think if you get a, a like minded group of people together, you know they can can really start a movement and and influence change. But ultimately, at some point in the process, leadership buy in is required for for success. Um, so having leaders who just authentically, genuinely have that social purpose. Um, you know, is, is really critical, I think, because it does need to be driven from the top um, because if it is, then, you know, it's embedded into your strategy, it's embedded into your scorecards and KPIs, it's embedded into your playbook and your values and your culture and, you know, and you can see leaders role modelling and, and walking the talk and, and I also think, you know, being open to have those conversations that you you need to have because everything you know as we talked about before is that that balancing act or, or that tension point between you know social purpose and commercial return and you know there, there's always going to be you know a balancing act that has to happen it's never you know, really black and white. So being able to have those conversations kind of openly with leaders I think is really important. I was, um, it's funny, I was walking into the city this morning and I was listening to John Mackey, who's the CEO of Whole Foods, his, um, his new book, uh, Conscious Leadership. He was, he was talking about this very topic, um, in terms of how leaders show up authentically and, and how that is a abs absolutely sort of key trait in terms of embedding purpose. And, you know, it's from them being, you know, uh, in very small ways and in, in quite in quite kind of largest substantial ways, but it's the day-to-day -day, uh, showing up in that way that really helps kind of drive it within an organization. So, um, yeah, I, it's, it's, it's kind of, once again, great to see that come into life at NRMA. That's fantastic. Yeah, amazing. I uh, imagine it's a pretty wonderful place to work. Well, yeah, that's why I've been there 13 years, I think. It's, yeah. It is, yeah, it's a very unique place, yeah. Wonderful. I've got jealousy. Yeah, same, same. <laughs> so, Tanya, um, if you don't mind, we usually like to close out the podcast with a few rapid-fire questions just to let the audience get to know you a little bit better. Um, the questions are rapid-fire, uh, but your answers <laughs> don't have to be. Um, are you up for that? Yeah, sure. Cool. Um, so what's a brand or an individual you admire for for doing good in the world besides uh, nrma of course of course um i would probably say david attenborough mm -hmm. i think as an individual he has you know done so much for for conservation and and for animal conservation in particular but i've just been watching his his recent documentary and yeah i think he he's an amazing individual one of my heroes for sure. Well, gonna, mm. you, you're going to get no arguments here. David Attenborough <laughs> is a, a living legend. So, um, yeah, awesome. Love it. Okay. What obsessions do you explore <laughs> or weekends when you're not working? What are you up to? Um, look, I have two young little boys. Uh, so I would say they are probably my obsession. Um, definitely amaze me every day kind of watching them grow up. So. And they take up all my time when I'm not working. <laughs> how old? Uh, how old are your little boys? Uh, nine and six. Yeah, right. Awesome. Um, 
And are there any causes that you're um, super passionate about or that you'd like to direct the audience to um, go take a look at? Yeah, look, I, I do think that there is a lot more um, that organisations can do in driving social good. I think it's it's quite easy to leave it to the government or or to you know other organisations that that specialise in that. But I think corporates um, really could do so much more. So I think looking at you know helping communities in need, especially in regional Australia, in the area of sustainability, obviously, and even supporting Indigenous communities. But I just I just think there's an incredibly important role for for corporates that that's probably not fully explored. Um, and you know we couldn't agree more. On yeah, of course, yeah. Thank you for <laughs> adding some extra weight to our <laughs> arguments there. Okay, what is the biggest change you've made in your personal life towards being more sustainable? Mm -hmm. Look, I think, you know, strange as it sounds, I think working from home, I think the forced, obviously, with COVID-19, but I think, you know, as we've all started to work from home, just really seeing the the impacts of that on congestion on our roads, on pollution. Um, you know, I don't have a printer at home, so completely paperless, um, you know, when I'm working from home. So I just, you know, I, I'm really hopeful that we see that trend continue, you know, long, long, long time after, after we've all kind of moved on from COVID because I just think, you know, it's, it's huge ramifications. Yeah, completely agree. The um, the world's definitely got a you know for all the for all the negative around COVID nineteen mm. and the impact it's had. There's 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 some upsides, and I think uh, I think we can count that as uh, as one of them for sure. Um, and I think definitely around people's mental health as well. I think we've all kind of talked about that elusive work life balance, but I mm. think having more people work from home, organisations hopefully adopting more flex work policies. I think mm. you know. It's definitely something we don't want to see revert back to, to old ways once we, we get through COVID. Mm, it, it's really interesting seeing the range of responses from different businesses we're talking to at the moment. Um, you know, some some leaders are adamant that everybody get back to the office as soon as they can, mm -hmm. and others are embracing the, uh, the, the 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 new normal to to pull pull out a pull out a sort of tired metaphor. But um, yeah, I completely agree. Um, Tanya, thank you so much. That was um, that was great, and and thank you for you know thank you for giving us a, a peek into the world of NRMA and all the good work you're doing. Um, any parting thoughts? Any asks of the audience? And where can people find you? Where can they reach out if they're inclined to do so? Yeah, well, uh, you can definitely find me on LinkedIn. Um, and I think in terms of a parting thought. Um, you know, I, I am personally a big believer in people power in an organisation. I think if if there's something that you want to achieve, just finding like-minded people across the organisation, bringing them together, starting very small, um, but just getting some stuff happening. I think, um, you know, once you bring people with a shared passion together, it's amazing just, you know, what can happen quite quickly and, and then just let it grow from there. 100 percent love it good stuff well uh, thank you once again tanya um thank you to you the listener for um joining us for this conversation and we'll see you next time thank you thank you guys thanks thank you so much for listening 
If you found this episode useful, the best way to support us and spread the message is by telling a friend or a colleague. You can also give us a rating or a comment on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you'd like to learn more about Leaders for Good and how you can start making positive change, head on over to leadersforgood.org and join our free community. Thank you.